Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Well, again, good morning, church. If you want to open your Bibles to that passage in Luke 9, we'll be beginning in verse 57 here in just a moment. If you're visiting with us, my name's Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here, and we're glad you're with us. We're in the second week of a series uh, called What If I Told You? In week one, we talked about the statements of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And this is what this whole series is about. It's about the Lordship of Jesus. It's so, we like to focus on Jesus saves us, but the question is for what? He, he saves us into his kingdom, where he is Lord, and where he leads us and guides us. And last week we talked about, uh, what if I told you that Jesus expects us to come to him on his own terms? And we talked about what those terms were where Jesus asks for us very clearly for love, love above everything, loyalty above everything, the willingness to lose everything. And we ask ourselves a question, well, that seems so harsh and dramatic and it could be so much easier, but no, Jesus asks us for a love, a loyalty, and a loss that is actually no greater than what he gave us himself. A love, his loyalty, and a supreme loss on the cross for our sins. And so when Jesus expects from us to come to him on his own terms is because his terms are good for us and they're good for the world. Today, the question is, what if I told you your faith is measured by your actions? And to be honest with you, I debated quite a bit this week with, the, with everything breaking out in the news and, and the general panic that is natural to happen when something like this happens. I began to wonder, should I preach something different? And I thought, no, actually, I'm gonna stay with the series and I hope you'll allow me grace today. It wasn't because it was easy. It was because I think that if you'll see when we're done, that the message Jesus teaches about following him fully as Lord of all things will be helpful even in today's conditions. So to understand what Jesus is asking us, we need to be reminded of what was said in Luke 14. In the same way, anyone who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. But Jesus has established the principles and the expectations, and those expectations are sometimes hard to hear, but they're always right to hear. You see, do we consider what Jesus is asking for? This is what I want us to ponder a little bit today. Are are we thinking about what he's really asked for or are we trying to soften what he's asked for to fit the worlds that we've chosen to live in? Asking Jesus to fit into our lifestyle rather than changing our lifestyles to fit into him. Jesus has a very unpopular way of calling people to follow him. It seems like he's giving us more reasons not to than the reasons to follow him. In John chapter six, he tells an audience of estimated between 12 and 14,000 different people. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot follow me. And the crowd turns away in mass. People walk away from Jesus more than those follow him. His disciples are dumbfounded, they're stunned. Why does Jesus do this? Because he's challenging us to consider what it fully means to follow him. Following Jesus will cost us everything. He doesn't say, you can modify your life and follow me. You can add me into what you're already doing. He says, no, no, you must come and die to be my disciple. But the expectations for Jesus are clearly not up for debate. My father taught me this a long time ago in a very valuable lesson. It was was almost incidental, but it, it stayed with me. My father challenged me one time to see what Jesus does every time people walk away from him when he's asked them for something. In other words, every time Jesus makes a big demand and the crowd walked away from him because the demand was too big, my father just simply said, have you ever noticed what Jesus does? 
And I did the best I could with my little mind trying to Bible study the best I could. And I came back to him and he said, I don't know. And my dad said, he did nothing. He let them walk away because he did not lower his expectations. Not because he didn't love them, but because what he was asking of them was the right thing. You see, Jesus' expectations are not up for debate. They're also not unrewarded. Everything Jesus asks us to do, as hard as it may be at the time, always comes with a reward that can only be understood on the other side of our obedience and never before. So I wanna ask you just three primary questions for the beginning here about what I see Jesus doing in Luke chapter nine. Just an easy way maybe to remember what we're being challenged to do because he's challenging our priorities. He's asking us if we say we wanna follow him to count the cost. And this is what it looks like. Will we choose comfort or a cross? Will we choose comfort or a cross? Verses 57 and eight again. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. This man initiates the conversation with Jesus. He calls out and says, I wanna follow you. And Jesus lays the demand. He said, please understand this. When you follow me, there's no material gain. I don't even have a home. I have no possessions. You're not gonna be rich. He's challenging this concept of discipleship in the days of Jesus that someone would attach themselves to a teacher because it gave them status, it gave them position, it gave them authority, it gave them credibility. So he called them to follow. And Jesus said, do you understand? The only thing I'm offering you is me. I have no no home. I have no possessions. I live at the mercy of everybody else. There's no status or, or position or power that you'll gain from following me in this lifetime. And Jesus has cautioned us back in Mark chapter 14. He cautions us about who we follow and why we follow them. He tells us, called no one your teacher. What's he suggesting? That you need to be careful as to the motives behind which you, you make yourself the disciple of anything. You see, if you come to Jesus to get to a location like heaven, you've misunderstood this whole thing. We come to Jesus, listen carefully. We come to Jesus to get Jesus. We don't come to Jesus to get anything else. If this is about heaven for you, or it's about forgiveness for you, all of those things are benefits of it, but if that's the purpose you're coming for, and you want heaven without Jesus, you won't get heaven. Because heaven is where he is. We come to Jesus to get Jesus. So I have to clarify, yes, we do come to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins but we also come to Jesus for the discipling of all nations. So we have been removed from our sins to be placed into his kingdom for the discipling of all nations. We have a responsibility and an obligation and an opportunity to bring the kingdom into other people's lives like it was brought into ours. See, Jesus says, if you come to get status, I'm gonna change your status, and the world won't value it, but God will. It's terms like adopted. It's terms like identity. It's expressions of what we receive in being identified with Christ and having Christ in us. So is that what you want? When you call out, I wanna follow Jesus, do you want comfort or a cross? Because he can only offer you one. And he is not offering you comfort. He's offering you death on the cross for the sake of the kingdom. Will we choose a manageable or a missional life? A manageable or a missional life, verses 59 and 60. Jesus said to another man, notice that this time Jesus calls this man. The first guy said he wanted to follow. Jesus calls this guy to follow. Follow me. 
But he answered, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, there's some suggestions that what's going on here is that this man's father is dying, and he wants to wait through that process before he follows Jesus. I tend to believe it's another. I think that the man has passed away, and he's waiting for that year to bury the father. What they would do is they would place the father in a tomb, and nine to 12 months later, they would take the bones out and bury those bones in the ground. And I tend to believe this man is saying to Jesus, can I wait until this process, and then I can bury the bones, and then I can follow you without any inhibition? And Jesus responds to him, no, let the, bury, let the dead bury the dead. His life has already been decided. You need to proclaim the kingdom to those who it's not decided for yet. You see, you can manage your everyday lives based on the expectations that are placed on you, or you can live your life missionally toward the expectations placed on you by Christ. And this is tough for us because we're like, why can't I do both? I've done both my whole life. Who changed the rules? They've never been changed. These have always been what Jesus said. Is your life on mission or are you simply trying to manage the calling of discipleship on your life amidst all of your other interests and all of your other safeties? But I also want you to know that proclaim the kingdom of heaven is not a singular task. It's not a moment in time. It's a lifestyle that promotes what God is doing throughout the world to each and every person we meet. So are you choosing comfort or a cross? Are you choosing to manage life or are you choosing to live missionally? Thirdly, <clears throat> will we choose, be, choose between indecisive minds or undivided hearts? <clears throat> Verses 61 and 2. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It's simple. Wow. You mean I can't say goodbye to my family and follow Jesus? No, there's something about Like, is it safe? Is it cool? What do mom and dad think? What will other people think? Remember, Jesus has said that I'm gonna divide father and son and mother and daughter and brother and sister. To follow me is a choice that you have to have an undivided heart. Remember that it's not about what Jesus brings us, it's about that we get Jesus. And Jesus said, I need you to give me my heart. And when when you give me your heart, I'm gonna give you a heart for the nations. I'm gonna give you a heart for all people. Indecision challenges our faith. We have to decide who Jesus is and is he who he says he is because discipleship really comes down to whether we place our trust in the character of Jesus Christ himself, whether we truly believe that he is who he says he is. The questions rage in the church all the time. And what I mean by the church across the globe, these are conversations. If you read theological arguments and discussions, there's nothing wrong with those. In fact, I think they're quite healthy. As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. But you'll hear an opposing position. And there's a lot of conversations that I'm reading today and I'm fascinated by like, did Jesus have any concept of sexual ethics when he taught what he taught? Is Jesus' truth transferable into the future or was it only present in the days in which he spoke? And the answer to that question is only found when you answer this question first. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God? Because if you do, he's not dated by time. He doesn't get old-fashioned. He doesn't lose touch. Or is he simply a contemporary teacher that's doing the best he can with the data he has, kind of like how we've all lived this last week, trying to make wise choices and the data changes every day and we wonder, can someone just tell me what's true? Who do you say Jesus is? An undivided heart has already settled that issue. A distracted heart is still deciding. So what's really startling to me is when you see people, even today, when people walk away from faith, 
if they had faith at all, and I'm not questioning whether, but did they have a sustaining faith in their life on who Jesus Christ is, then when circumstances and troubles test them, they walk away from their faith. And I'm not saying they're broken, but I'm telling you this, they never knew who he was or they never experienced the power and glory of who he was. And I'm challenging all of us in this series. The battle for the lordship of Jesus begins with people like you and I who have to make one decision for the foremost, even when I disagree with him, is he the son of God? And I will change my disagreement to obedience because of who he is. And do we consider whose souls are at stake? So do we consider what he's really asking of us? And do we consider whose souls are at stake? Because here's the fallacy. If you and I base our walk of discipleship on whether or not we've got ours, and that's all we're concerned about, we will have misappropriated what he has offered us. We will have misunderstood and misappropriated the lives he's given us. It is crucial to understand that, yes, Jesus can save you from your sins for his kingdom. If you lose one half of that, you have salvation without lordship. And if you have salvation without lordship, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus. Because you aren't a disciple and follower of his. The cannot is really contingent upon your faith in who he is. You see, is, if my salvation is secured and I'm okay, isn't that what this is about? No, it's so much more. It's not just about your soul, it's about souls. It's about the souls of those around you. It's about the souls of those that are antagonistic. It's about the souls of those people who are misinformed. It's about the souls of those people who are naive. You see, what I wanna encompass is, instead of us figuring out why they're separated, from the love of God, we need to introduce them to Jesus so they can experience the love of God. All souls, no matter the cause. We have been called to surrender while, or willingly and lovingly to the Lordship of Jesus by offering his kingdom to each and every person we meet. And Jesus doesn't ask us to do this to punish us, and it's not a way of repaying him for our past sins. This is actually a blessing to us and a blessing to others, to offer real life and real hope in days of concern. And what about those who have not received the finished work of Jesus on the cross? And this is controversial today. I'm not saying maybe in this room it's not, but I think it is. Because practically we're all universalists. Most of us actually live our lives thinking that this whole conversation about people being lost, who am I to say a person isn't going to go to heaven? You're not allowed to say that, Jesus is however. And the words of Jesus must guide everything we think and do. It must, we must take every thought captive to Christ and his lordship. And so I'm gonna read two passages of scripture that we won't like. First is found in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On that day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among, those, among all those who have believed. Revelation 20, 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he will be thrown into the lake of fire. And the question resounds in the room this morning. Is hell a thing? Is hell really a thing? Could a loving God condemn someone who's naive or ignorant or in rebellion? Could he condemn them to eternal punishment 
for the way they live their lives? And we debate this because if in your mind and heart you're saying, no, no, I think God is just love and at the end of it, he's gonna let everybody in and he'll do something to capture their attention, but he's gonna let everybody in, then you are by your thought processes and the conclusions that you want to make. And I understand where they come from. I wish hell weren't a thing, but I can't deny it is because of what my Lord said, what he taught and what he warned us of. But to believe that God is going to let everybody in, regardless of what he said, means God is a liar. And if he's a liar, what can you trust? Why are we here? If God can't be trusted and everyone's making up their own truth, then we're best to just isolate completely and live out to the best of our ability, hoping it works. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus did not talk to us about hell to threaten us. He talked to us about hell to awaken us. He's warning us that he loves us too much to see us punished. And so he, said, he came to earth to die on the cross so that we would be freed from the chains of our sin and we might offer that freedom to others we meet for the goodness of their soul, not to threaten them or condemn them or make them feel shamed, but actually to invite them in to a kingdom where love and grace abound. Because if we believe that those who do not have Jesus and the blood of Christ covering their sins, if we do not believe that Jesus is telling us the truth, then we will continue to live the lives we've always lived, just believing that everything's gonna work out for everybody. If we do believe it, we're gonna begin to see our neighbors differently, and we're gonna begin to care about people differently because the love of Christ compels us. Doesn't force us, it drives us, it guides us, it entices us. You see, there are 6.7 billion people in the world today and tens of thousands of those in the four state area have concluded falsely, have never been taught, or are in active rebellion against God. And Jesus saved us so that we could minister to them, love them, serve them, and invite them into his kingdom. It'll change the way we treat relationships. What do we believe about those who have not accepted the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and through the resurrection? The second happy question I wanna ask you this morning, you're really glad you came, aren't you? What about our obligation to the marginalized? See, the truths are not to bring shame, they're to bring awareness. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. He is offering us hope and life. He's challenging us to step into discipleship in such a way that it will be a blessing to him It'll be a blessing to us, and it'll be a blessing to others. We live in a world where the poor are powerless. Oh, we can get into a great debate about why they're poor, and some choose to be poor, and I'm not interested in any of those dialogues. Because I'm telling you, poverty means powerlessness. And Jesus has allowed you and I to have a power greater than our comfort, and that is to minister to people who are powerless and bring them into a state of understanding that under the lordship of Jesus Christ, he has everything taken care of. And through the church, we minister to our communities. Little did I know two weeks ago when I was writing this message that I would come to a moment in time in the history of our country where everyone is staying away. I mean, I must have the plague. I'm in the foyer. No one, you were coming 10 yards from me. I get it. We're all like, what is actually, I don't even know what to do. A guy hugged me this morning and a lady gasped. She's like, oh no, my preacher too. Listen, it's real. It's a real virus. It's affecting real people. And some of us in this room may get sick. My hope is not in how healthy I am. 
My hope is in the power of Jesus Christ and how I can minister the love in my lifetime. Because on the other side of death, we're all gonna be so healthy. Praise God, there'll be no viruses on the other side. My hope is in Christ and I'll live a real life today. I won't be scared. I'll be safe, I'll be wise, I'll take precautions. But I'm trusting God in each and every bit of this. And I encourage our hearts. We're living in a world where our neighbors don't have that hope. There are people in our community who will get sick. It's inevitable. It will come this way. And church, are we gonna be the ones that go and love and serve and care and protect and share our toilet paper, are we? Because I think we should be. If you're hoarding toilet paper, meet me in the hallway. We need to have a conversation. God measures the integrity of our faith by our concerns for the lost and the poor. I want you to listen to a passage in Isaiah chapter 58 from a long time ago. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. You see, we have a chance to minister in a scared culture, a sense of hope and stability, a willingness to risk and to step out. If you're not feeling well, stay away. Do wise choices. Take care of yourself. Get better. Don't be noble and be defiant. Just be noble. Do the right thing. But when your neighbor's sick and hurting, instead of being fearful, let's love our neighbors. Let's step into to, to places where others won't. Not because we're better, because the love of Christ compels us. Because our faith is demonstrated by our actions, as shocking as that is. No, preacher, I've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Yes, for the kingdom of God alone. Let's not live in fear. Let's love and serve and sacrifice. Proverbs 21 is an interesting proverb. Verse 13, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Matthew 25, Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Our discipleship cannot only be focused on our salvation, it must be focused on the kingdom and those who need to be loved and cared for and nurtured. It's not just the words of the gospel either. It's actually the fruit of the gospel being displayed. The fruit of the spirit of God. Peace, joy, kindness. All of those things are shown. This is why we're here. I challenge us to spend some time with the spirit of God in the word of God this week. And when those moments come that there's conflicting news reports and it's a million dead or it's not a big deal, whatever those things are, let's go to the word of God and let's just place our trust in God and ask the spirit of God to lead us. And let's be... Let's be lights in a dark time. Not with fake hope, but with real hope. In Matthew chapter nine, verses 35 to 38, Jesus cast the vision, and I want you to see it with me. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I want you to notice three things about this moment that Matthew records. First of all, just like Jesus, Jesus looked out and he saw the size of the crowd. See the size around us. 
See other people outside of yourself. Look around and say, just outside of your own family, who in your neighborhood? In fact, in the King James, it says, he saw the multitudes. And instead of Jesus being judgmental and angry at the multitudes, he had compassion on them. He felt for them. His heart went out to them. Feel their suffering. They were harassed and helpless, downcast. He said they were like sheep without a shepherd. And we know this. Sheep have no protective mechanism. They can't fight. They can't claw. They may bite, but it doesn't work very long. They can't run very fast. They're really dumb. They had no one to protect them and guide them and bring them together. And Jesus looked out. Instead of saying, you did it to yourselves, he looked out with compassion. He saw the multitudes. He saw that they were harassed. He saw that they were scared. He would see exactly what our culture is living in right now today. Nobody knows what's really going on. And everyone's frantic. And every new piece of news is the truth. And and it's just, it's exhausting, isn't it? It's just exhausting. And I don't want to stick my head in the ground and act like this isn't going on. But I also am not going to stop living my life. And I'm not going to stop living my kingdom life. And it also says, realize their separation. The word harvest is typically a judgmental word in the scriptures. It's talking about the final judgment of God. And Jesus looked out at a crowd that was destined to be away from him for eternity. And his heart went out with compassion for them. And he stepped into the gap. And then Jesus gives us the call for today. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask the Lord who will bring judgment on this earth to send out workers into the harvest field. Why? to invite them in before that day, to give them hope and life and peace. So sometimes it's apparent how God works in me and things that happen that I write weeks before I need to say them. I just want you to listen to what I felt compelled to write a few weeks ago. And as I looked at it this week, I thought, this is quite interesting. What are we supposed to do with a message like this? A message that says our faith is tested by how we treat the lost and the poor, the downcast, the disenfranchised, the marginalized. How do we care for those who don't even know they need cared for and those who do? Go to the great need around you. Go to the dying around you. Go to the despised around you. Go to the dirty around you. Go to great danger around you. Go with grace and truth so that the shepherd may have the full return of his flock. Go and bring back lost sheep, sick and hurting sheep. Bring him into the presence of the great healer. Amen. Bring him to the great shepherd. Amen. Let's introduce a world that's scared and wonders what's coming. Let's introduce him to the one who knows what's coming. And he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We will go with wisdom. We will go with scripture. We will go with hope. We will go with love. And church, in the next few weeks, we may need to go into our community with mercy and compassion and sacrifices for the sake of the kingdom because we love all people, the lost, the dying, the sick, the poor, the believer, and the unbeliever, just like our good shepherd did. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.